The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 6, Revolutions. Terminal, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. It had been a good day for Dominic Verdigree, so far. He had finished up an early lunch with Kanjar at one of the premier restaurants in Atlanta. She had found it strange initially, since Dominic usually took long lunches later in the afternoon, but quickly dismissed it. Working for Dominic Verdigree always involved putting up with personal quirks and ideas came out of left field. If it wasn't that he could, and demonstrably did, keep his attention on one thing for hours, days, and weeks at a time, she would have said he had ADD. There was a sort of manic air around Verdigree today, as well. He was in an exceptionally good mood, and rushed to get back to his office at Echo HQ. Once he was at his desk, he was back to work almost instantly, typing through the interface at a nigh-feverish pace. Kanjar was lounging on a leather-covered chaise identical to her favorite in his office back on the island. Identical, except for color, that is. Dom had done this office all in creams and golds and browns. He had gone into one of those trances of activity that had been all too rare since the invasion. Dom, what are you doing? It's been a while since I've seen you this... She thought for a moment, as if rolling around the word she was going to use in her mouth. Well, this happy... He looked up for a mere moment, still typing away. Oh, just my daily stock market manipulations, putting distortions here and there where I want them. I'm also keeping up with the uh, ponies. Something about the racetrack always draws me back. I don't know why. Getting a few different accounts taken care of offshore. More of the same old, same old, really. Setting up a deal with some of those chaps down in the Democratic People's Republic of whatever in Africa. Seems they need some new guns to start up another coup. Oh! Almost forgot. All of it had been spilling out in rapid fire before Kanjar cut him off. That's all nothing unusual for you. Something else is going on. She cocked her head to the side coyly. Won't you tell me? Verdigree stopped, exhaling once. Yes, yes, my dear. Come over and check this out. One of the many windows in the monitor that was the entire surface of his desk showed a sandwich shop just outside of underground Atlanta. Strangely, all of the tables seemed to be occupied by black-uniformed Echo support ops, and Kanjar recognized a few of those who were not wearing the uniforms to be Echo plainclothes. Where is that? she asked, leaning over the desk. Oh, I recognize it. That's Nomkitty, the Bonmi shop. I think half the Echo support ops eat there since you closed the campus to food trucks. Why are you watching it? Wait for it. Best part is coming up. He checked his watch, a Patek Philippe that he had personally commissioned. It should be... Right about... Now. 
A beat-up van rounded the corner and came to a screeching halt in front of the eatery. All of the patrons looked up in time to see the doors open and what appeared to be a half-dozen rebs all brandishing shotguns and automatic rifles. Before any of the Echo personnel could react, the rebs opened fire. Most were cut down where they sat, while others were shot in the back as they tried to run or shoot back. After the rifles and shotguns were empty, one reb lit a Molotov cocktail and threw it, setting the shop front and several of the bodies, some still moving, on fire. The doors slammed shut on the van as it sped away, leaving a cloud of tire smoke. Even Kanjar had to blink at the speed and brutality of the attack. Dom, did you do that? He put on a look of mock innocence mixed with mock horror. My dear girl, how could you imagine that I would do anything to endanger the lives of my own Echo personnel? Didn't you see right there? It was the Rebs, probably in retaliation for what happened to Rebel Yell and the sentencing of Bad Boy. Then he dropped the act, smirking. You know my motto. It's better to bury trouble if you can't buy it off. And if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing with extreme prejudice. I just got rid of some specific people who were fomenting dissent down in the support ops cadre, and I distracted everyone else. And I did it in a way that will create a wave of sympathy for Echo. Oh, by the way, put a press conference together and say five hours for my reaction to this despicable attack, won't you? I should think your PA could do that, she sniffed, more than a little annoyed that he was treating her like a secretary. Again. Oh, stick around for right now. Part two is coming up, as they say. But wait, there's more. This is where we get our money's worth, so to speak. He grinned and tapped on his glass keyboard, closing the cam view of the sandwich shop and bringing up one of Atlanta Underground. If there was one thing that Vicky was perpetually grateful for, it was that Dominic Verdigree didn't believe in magic. He was ridiculously careless about things like fingernail clippings and haircuts. She had enough of Verd squirreled away in various safe caches, including a packet filed with her mom, to clone him a million times over. Of course, cloning him was scarcely the point. No, the point was that with such a tight band connection to Verd, she didn't even need the Overwatch suite to keep tabs on him. Although the suite was very useful in keeping a record of what he was doing. In sort of a magical version of keystroke logging, she had a monitor and standalone computer setup devoted to tracking everything he did on his computers, whether they were Echo or not. She also had an alert wired up to tell her when he was looking at or tinkering with something out of the ordinary. Tapping into a security cam just outside of Atlanta Underground was definitely out of the ordinary. Directing it to point at Namkitty was wildly out of the ordinary. Watching a live feed of the van full of rebs mowing down thirty to forty Echo support ops was off the scale. Shit! She thought she had gotten a nerd to scenes of massacre by now. Evidently not. It took her a moment to swallow her revulsion before she simultaneously hotkeyed Bella's freak, put the Overwatch suite into full-boat recording of everything Bird was doing, and tried not to throw up. 
Verdigree put an ordinary-looking Bluetooth earpiece on, holding up one finger to Kanjar. Excuse me for a few moments, my dear. Personal finishing touches. I am going to assume that. Appearances to the contrary. Those were not Rebs. Kanjar was inured to scenes of massacre a long time ago, and she examined the burning restaurant front with an analytical eye. Of course not. Scum like that has its uses, but they're highly unreliable. This needed to be a precision job, especially with what's coming next. The earpiece flashed, indicating an incoming call. He tapped a button before answering. Yes, still a go. They'll be on their way shortly. Keep up appearances. He tapped the button again. Dispatch, this is Verdigree. Check the roster and find out who is nearest to the incident. Yes, yes, I heard everything on the comm channels. We need to deal with this now. Full response mode. Our people have been hurt. With that, he took the earpiece off and deposited it in a drawer from his desk. As soon as he closed it, there was a slight whoomph sound as the built-in incinerator kicked in. Another of the things that should have been on the evil overlord lists. Never leave evidence. Kanjar raised an eyebrow. Obviously, there is more to this than just removing a few support ops. Much more. Verdigree keyed up the desk display again, narrowing his eyes. Things will be much easier for us with Echo after today, my dear. Then we can really get down to business. Sending to your monitor, Vicky said. I'm only getting his side of the conversation. Kanjar is a lot more diligent about her magic protection. I still haven't gotten a piece of her yet. But this is only part one. Don't scramble yet, because there's more coming, and... When you do, haul in protection with you. Jesus, Clooney Frog, Bella replied. Right, I just got the alert. I've tagged Ramona. She'll issue the scramble since I'm supposed to look incompetent. Who's wired outside of Bull's Misfits, CCCP, and my med teams? Vicky was already calling up the roster. Motu and Matai are your best bet. I think between them and me we can keep your guys protected. I'll tag them. I'll go ahead and liaise with Gamma Yoon in case we need more backup. Savior may elect to send some anyway. You get your team together. Yeah. Armed. No Einhorn. Out. Had Verd still been watching the feed from that security camera, he would have seen a curious thing happening. Or rather, things. Where there were no people, waves of earth erupted from the cracks between the cement paving blocks and smothered the flames immediately. Where there were people, dust gathered in purposeful swirls and did the same. Dust, after all, is powdered earth. Fire is a triangle. Oxygen, heat, fuel. Remove one of the three and the triangle collapses. Dust smothers quickly enough to kill flames before it kills people. And when that was done, more earth rose up into ramparts protecting the victims from any possible follow-up attack, with narrow passages that would allow the Echo Med teams in. Viggy unclenched her fists and grabbed a fistful of energy shots, then sucked one down while pulling out one of the talismans she used to store magical energy in. This was going to be a test of her endurance.
because she had the sinking feeling that not only was this not over, but was only just the beginning. Corby got the scramble order for his default team. Although he wasn't officially a team leader, he seemed to be the one in charge for the loose group of himself, Silent Knight, and leader of the pack. Sometimes Motu and Matai came along as well, on loan from Bulwark. But a split second after he got the go order, the special tone came over his headset that signaled incoming from that magic bird, Victrix. Oh, crumbs. That can't be good. He switched freaks. Corby, go. Corby, stop, I mean it. Halt in place, came the grim response. PDA on, briefing incoming, you're being set up. Three guesses who, and the first two aren't Daleks or Cybermen. Corby clenched his jaw so hard his teeth almost cracked. Right you are, love. Power it up. Give me the brief while I get the boys rounded up. We're in a destruction corridor. It'll take a minute to gather them up anyway. During that minute, he watched the massacre at the sandwich shop, watched the Rebs. And if those were Rebs with those weapons and short haircuts while well, he was the Prince of Wales, hole up in Atlanta Underground, and noted the location. Very nice. Lovely kill shoot. What do you call a channeling trap? Everyone falls in nice and tidy in order to be chopped to mince. Okay, now you can go. This is the first time for me being eyes above for you, so let's hope my practice shows. I can see anything a security cam can see, and Underground is lousy with them. If you need anything, let me know. Otherwise, I'll fly by the seat of my pants. What's the sitch with our ops at the shop? He still felt vaguely sick after watching fellow Echo personnel being gunned down so casually, but tamped the feeling down. He needed to focus, and right now. We've got Ned scrambled with everything they need, and most of them are packing heat. We have CCCP incoming for locking down the perimeter and cover fire. And since Motu and Matai are wired, if we need cover before then, they'll peel off to provide it. Roger, love. The boys are here keep me updated. The rest of his team had formed a rough semicircle around him, with leader's dogs occasionally poking their heads in between people. He left the mic on. He figured she was like every other intel officer he'd ever worked with. There was no such thing as too much data for those sorts. Listen up. We got a hit on Nomkiri. He didn't have to say anything else. Everyone knew how popular the shop was with the support ops. Leader cursed under his breath. Motu and Matai nodded. From their expressions, Corby figured the witchy tech had already briefed them. Med scrambled. The bad boys are holed up in the underground. They're dressed like rebs. Corby let the words hang in the air. Silent Knight rumbled. Clearly from your statement they are not. Corby shrugged. Short hair? Really good combat boots and weapons I've never seen in the hands of scruffy rednecks that wasn't stolen, yeah? And never that many of them. He shook his head. My bottom pound is it on being a group of pros. Leader's face darkened as his dogs all started to growl in unison. He quieted them with a quick look. Black snake? 
Ever since the confrontation at the shopping mall, he'd wanted a chance to mash some murk heads. No telling. They're not the only dirty murk outfit in town, but they are one of the best. He frowned in disgust. It was an efficient and professional hit. Then let's stick their efficient weapons up their professional asses, growled leader. Update. Meds on the scene. No sign of interference. CCCP is about four minutes out. Corby scrolled back to his shots of the mercs holding up, then pulled up his store map of the underground. They'll be expecting us to come in this entrance, he said, holding his PDA where everyone could see and pointing. They're here. Funneling us into a kill zone, Knight noted. Update. SWAT just went into the Kathy Bucks entrance and got waxed. And SWAT just found that out how much of a kill zone. Leader winced. What? Corby cut him off. Motu Matai, CCCP ain't more than two minutes away. Med won't need you. You boys give SWAT the cover to get their men out, and that'll give us a distraction to come in from... He studied the map. Here. They both nodded. Matai checked his paintball gun to make sure that it was loaded. Knight leaned over and peered at the map. Service entrance. Won't it be locked? Breaking it down would be noisy. Sorted. Electronic lock. Already tripped and waiting for you. He couldn't help it. The words came out before he could stop them. I love you he said fervently to his little guardian angel. Knight looked at him with that expressionless helmet tilted quizzically. You know I do not swing that way. Nor do you. He blushed. Knight, of course, couldn't hear her. Yet, he was a good sort, but Corby would have to consult the others about bringing him into the fold. Right, then. Lock's been unlocked for us. We have Motu and Matai cover him from there. We come in from the other way and sort these bastards out from both ends. Ought to put a kink in things for him. Knight tilted his huge helmet to the other side. There is an incoming transmission on your headset that is not Echo. Before he could say anything, Motu made a shushing motion. Not now, man. Just say... It's a friend that is helping. Knight and Leader looked at each other, and Leader shrugged. Cobbies? he offered. Knight nodded. Corby decided to leave them with that assumption. It was as good as anything else, and until Victrix brought them into the conspiracy, better than speculation. Righto. That's about as much plan as we're going to get. We need to get these sods out of the underground before they kill anyone else. He unholstered his issued PDW, checking to make sure a round was chambered. Let's move. Underground Atlanta was only ten blocks away, fast for him and Knight, who had built-in flying capabilities. Not so good for the Samoans, or for Leader, who could only go as fast as the dogs could run. Vix, he said, once he was in the air. Go. If you got to split your attention, stay with the brothers until we all join up. Shouldn't have to, but that's a Roger. CCCP is on site. I have one of their snipers on the roof of Nom Kitty. If the goons have eyes in the sky, he'll pick them off. 
He heaved a huge sigh of relief while pumping his wings as hard and fast as he could, feeling his back and chest muscles straining. He still didn't know how he could fly. His wings weren't nearly big enough to lift his mass, much less allow him to carry another whole human. Echo Eggheads and plenty of professors had wondered over that for years to no avail. Well, time enough to worry about that some other day. Echo Med had the protection they needed. Now it was just up to him and his team to show that bastard Vertigree that he wasn't going to get a second shot at anyone else. The day that we take him down and make him pay for Tesla, I'm breaking open that bottle of Granddad's brandy. It was supposed to be for his wedding, but that didn't look like a day that'd be coming along any time soon at this rate. Corby? Go, he said. Come in hot. CCCP's taken out a sniper that was overlooking your entry point. Only a matter of time before they get another one on the roof. Gents, we need to go in fast, he radioed to Silent Knight and the rest. Door's probably hot. These guys are mercs only a matter of time before they get a sniper up. A little editorial revision would not go amiss in keeping Vix's involvement a secret here. Leader of the pack's dogs rounded a corner half a block away, with himself in hot pursuit. I have Motu and Matai on your freak. They're getting what you get. Guinness is on me when this is over. Not that limey crap, rumbled Motu over the same freak. All right, let's get the thing done. He could see the remnants of smoke where the Namkitty was. The wind was carrying the din from all of the police and EMS sirens up to meet him. Below, he spotted his landing zone. Corby did what a falcon does. He pumped upwards, then arced over into a dive, wings folded tightly against his body, the better to present a small target to anything unfriendly, and trading height for speed. His build wasn't the best suited for such a maneuver, but at least it was better than Knight's. The entrance was one of several in the otherwise blank walls fronting an alley. At the last moment, he fanned his wings wide as an air brake and touched down hard, taking immediate shelter behind a dumpster, then unholstering the PDW from his leg. He bent to the side, reaching out to shove at the door with his free hand. It opened at his touch. I really do love you, he told Vix fervently. Get a room, said Matai. You boys just get your arses over here. Clock is ticking. At that moment, Knight touched down beside him. Not long after that, the pack showed up, with Leader bringing up the rear, weapons drawn. He didn't go unarmed anymore. In and stack up, Corby ordered. Knight first. Knight nodded his helmet, then rushed through the open portal. Corby followed, with Leader and his mutts bringing up the rear. They were a dozen places inside of what looked like a service tunnel when he started to get a gnawing sensation in the pit of his guts. Halt. Wait a moment. Why would they have a sniper guarding this specific entrance? That spot the bloke was at wasn't a good spot for much else than that. Knight, he whispered. You made that mod to your suit that allows you to put out an echolocational pin, right? That's correct. Do it. I've got a bad feeling about this hallway. Call it instinct. One thing that Corby had learned early in his career with Echo was that one always trusted their gut feelings when it came to dangerous situations. Knight nodded again, then looked forward intently. After several seconds, he tilted his head to the side and turned back to face Corby. 
There appears to be a trap of some sort ahead, near the door. He pointed to it. For the rest of the team, it was barely visible against the wall from this distance, but Corby's eyesight was better than the average chap's. He was able to see it clearly enough to make out specific details. Corby sighed. Early warning device, he said into his mic. We found their escape route. Guess they liked this way as much as we did. Can you disable it from here? I cannot. There's not enough ambient noise for me to generate a proper resonant frequency. It's not Wi-Fi'd into anything, so I'm out. Well, so much for Wichipo. Right, right. Corby cut him off. It looks like a simple laser tripwire. No explosives I can see. We can get right up to it, but I don't want to risk. He stopped short as one of Leader's dogs, the one that looked like it was mostly Mastiff, trotted ahead of the group, right up to the device. Normandy! Leader called out in a harsh whisper. Back here, damn it! Leader had named all of his dogs after famous battles, one of his quirks, it seemed. The Mastiff looked back, snorted, and then lifted a leg over the device. And peed on it. There must have been a quart of yellow liquid arcing through the air to land accurately on the device. A few seconds later, the device let out a shower of sparks and a small cloud of smoke. Normandy trotted back, just as nonchalant, and planted himself next to Leader, dopey eyes looking up for approval. "'I'm firing you and keeping the dogs, Leader,' Corby said, shaking his head. "'The mutt is smarter than you.' Everyone ducked as a cacophony of gunfire erupted on the other side of the door. Dozens of automatic rifles and shotguns were all going off at the same time in measured bursts. The firing slackened, and then stopped, and then there was muffled yelling, civilians and what Corby assumed were the mercs. Their radios crackled simultaneously. This is Matai. We were able to get the down swat out, but the captain is pissed. He's trying to keep us from going back in. This might take a minute. He could hear the SWAT commander arguing with Motu. Corby could swear that he heard one comment about Motu using the SWAT van for material for his armor, and couldn't help but smirk. Make it a fast minute. There's still civvies in there. He turned to face the rest. We're gonna hold here until they're in position. We need to do this at the same time to make it work. Corby was interrupted when the door for the main concourse slammed open behind him. He whirled around to find one of the Rebs staring at him, slack-jawed. There was a tense moment where everyone was too shocked to react. The Echo Ops and the probable Merc just stood looking at each other for several heartbeats. Both had the same reaction. Shit! Two voices rang out as one. Both grabbed for their weapons. Perimeter breach! The Merc managed to squawk, presumably into his headset, before Corby could bring his PDW to bear on the man. The Merc, even fighting against his rifle sling, was faster on the draw. His gun was leveled at Corby's chest. Before either of them could fire, a barking mass of fur and teeth sped around Corby. Later's dogs swarmed the Merc, knocking him to the floor. Corby heard the Merc's head impact with a dull thud. He ran forward with his gun trained on the downed man, but he already knew by the sound that he was out cold. Damn it! He slung his PDW to the side, relieved the merc of his weapons and radio, and then zip-tied his hands and feet together. 
We've lost the element of surprise. They know we're coming. We gotta move now. Matai, you get all of that. That's a big ten four. Sorry, Chief, putting a complaint with the boss. We gotta move. Corby could hear more shouting over the radio, followed by the shriek of crumpling metal. Ready here. Corby looked over his shoulder at Leader and Knight. All right. Here we go. He kicked open the door to the main concourse with his PDW shouldered, followed by the rest of his team. He took in the scene in front of them instantly. Much of it was what he had expected. A lot of the stalls and storefronts were trashed from the gunfight between the mercs and the cops. There were several dozen civilians scattered like terrified rabbits wherever there was even a modicum of cover. Some of them were clearly hurt. What he hadn't expected, however, was for the mercs to be ready for them. They all had their guns trained on his team. Some of the bastards were even smiling. Cover! Without a word, the mercenary started to fire. Corby dove behind the nearest pillar. He felt his nano-weave jacket stiffen with impact from two hits. It took him a moment to get his breath back and sit up. After switching the rifle to his left shoulder, he leaned out from the left-hand side of the pillar, firing a burst from his PDW at the mercs. Their return fire forced him back behind his cover. Frantic, he looked around for the others. Night was sending out blasts, but they weren't having nearly the effect they should have. The mercs must have had some sort of active hearing protection on. Leader was writhing on the ground, screaming and holding his ears. His dogs were all in similar condition, wide-eyed and frothing at the mouth as they pawed at their ears frantically. "'What the hell's wrong? What have they done to you?' Corby leaned out, firing another burst from his weapon. "'Ultrasonics!' Leader gasped out, clenching his teeth against the pain. "'They're hurting them!' He looked for the brothers. Surely they had to be faring better. If they could get to Corby and the rest of the team, they'd have a chance to get better cover, not pinned down against the wall. With Leader and his pack down, and Knight's powers ineffective, they'd have to form an alternate strategy, and fast. Some of those wounded civilians wouldn't make it unless they got to a hospital, and soon. It took him a few moments, but he was finally able to locate the brothers. His heart sank immediately. They were enveloped in a cloud of gas, tear gas or something like it, from the way they were coughing and choking. Both of them were blinded by it, especially Motu. With his amalgamation armor, his vision was already limited enough. Heavy-caliber rifles were pounding away at the armor. It was everything that Motu could do to shield his brother and try to renew the armor as fast as it was being stripped away. Knight wasn't in any better shape. His armor, while sturdy, couldn't stand up to the barrage it was getting forever. Eventually, they'd take him down. He knew it, too. But he wasn't moving. He stood there, continually blasting at the mercs and trying to protect his team. While they were focusing on Knight, they weren't shooting at Leader or his dogs. They were ready for us. Not just ready, but for us specifically. They had to be. They've got a bloody number. We need to turn this around right now or we're all dead. Think, man. Think. Vix? He shouted into his mic. Can you do something to shield Knight? The answer came as the floor suddenly heaved up around where Knight had taken shelter. It's reinforced concrete. Sorry, it takes me a little longer to work through that shite. Earth ramparts, studded with bits of concrete laced with reinforcing rods, formed around Silent Knight. A moment later, the ground shuddered, and more heaved up to give Corby and Leader and the dogs life-saving shelter. This won't last. We need to go on the offensive. Think. 
Wait. Knight's suit didn't just collect and project sound. He could absorb it, maybe cancel it out in an area. Couldn't he? Knight! The armored engineer canted his head to the side, still firing sonic blasts. Take all of the noise, even the ultrasonic stuff. Knight didn't make any move for a moment, then finally nodded. It was dangerous for his suit to absorb too much energy like that. It could become catastrophically damaged, maybe even kill Knight. Corby went around to the right side of the pillar this time, switching his grip back to his strong hand. He fired two bursts, but something was wrong. He saw the muzzle flash, felt the PDW shake with recoil, and felt the hot brass of the casings as the odd few bounced off the back of his hand. But he heard nothing. The effect on Leader and the dogs was immediate. The dogs stood up and scrambled to join their pack leader under the cover of Vicky's ramparts. Leader stopped writhing and gathered them in around him. Evidently what Knight was doing didn't much affect the headset. I can't heave up the floor under those guys and knock them off balance. Those are load-bearing pillars they're under. I'll bring the whole thing down on you. A pause. But I can screw with their comms. He didn't hesitate. Do it, Vix. He turned to Leader, shouting. Back this far, they were out of the field that Knight was absorbing sound in. We've got to help Knight right now. His suit can't take much more bullets or sound. Leader nodded. A second late, all of the dogs ran along the wall to the right until they were out of sight. Corby noticed that very few shots were directed at them. Peeking around the edge of the pillar and over the top of the earthen barrier, he noticed that some of the mercs seemed to be confused. Their attention was split, and they were distracted. A few were yelling at the others, trying to direct them, but it was clear that their ordered ranks were in chaos. It looked as if Vic was doing something a little more elaborate than just jamming the mercs' comm system. Form up all night. Let's give them hell. Corby vaulted over the barrier, bringing his PDW up. He started firing measured bursts, forcing some of the mercs to keep their heads down. He even caught one that wasn't as fast as his friends, shooting him in the chest. Leader was covering Corby from the barrier. As soon as Corby reached night, it was Leader's turn to advance. Cavalry is here. Just when it looked like the mercs were about to regroup and focus their fire again, a snarling blur of teeth and fur streaked in behind the mercs from the right. Leader's dogs tore into them, knocking mercs off of their feet and mauling the odd one here and there. Their speed and the nano-weave overcoats they had been fitted with protected them from any retaliation. Whenever it looked like a merc was getting his bearings and was about to fire on an individual dog, the rest of the pack mobbed him. Corby, Knight, and Leader all started to advance towards the merc's position. Corby and Leader kept crouched behind Knight for limited cover, firing whenever a target of opportunity popped up. Knight was still firing sonic blasts, but was now keeping them narrow-beam and focused for individual targets, since the dogs were in the middle of thugs. Corby's PDW ran dry when they were about fifteen paces away from the mercs. "'Mag!' he shouted. Leader poked around Knight, firing his pistol to cover Corby. By the time he was empty himself, Corby had already changed mags and was firing again. Leader tapped Corby on the shoulder twice. "'They're all down, mate. The dogs just informed me.' As one, Corby and Leader ran up to the mercs' barricade and aimed over it. All of the mercs were either dead or incapacitated. Several of them were being sat on by Leader's dogs. Leader moved quickly to those who looked as if they could still get up, securing their weapons and zip-tying their hands behind their backs. 
Some looked as if they were bleeding from their ears. The dogs must have removed whatever hearing protection they had been wearing, opening them up for night's blasts. Not bad for a pack of mutts. There was still gunfire coming from the direction of the main entrance. We've got to get to the brothers. The team moved as fast as they dared, no telling what other traps the mercs might have set up to cover their backs. Corby took the lead this time. When he rounded the corner, he saw why there was still shooting going on. Motu and Matai both seemed to be blinded still. The gas had mostly dispersed, but the effects would take hours or some decontamination wipes before they went away. Matai was in better shape than his brother, though. He was actually behind Motu, steering him like a wrecking ball with legs. Left, brother. No, your other left. Pushing and cajoling Motu, Matai was wrestling him into position to beat the remaining mercs. There were already a half-dozen of their still forms on the ground. It's Corby. We're coming in behind them to help you log out. Try not to squish us. He motioned with his free hand to the rest of the team. As one, they sprang from cover. It was easy work since the mercs all had their backs turned. The first one that Corby spotted, he ran up to. The merc turned just in time to receive a kick on the point of his chin, knocking him cold. His friends on either side went down just as quickly. The ones on the left were convulsing, while the ones on the right were trounced by a combined weight of about one thousand pounds of dog. Boss. Matai was on his knees, his arms wrapped around one of Motu's legs. I think I need a hand. Corby left the others to secure whatever mercs remained alive, opting to run over to the brothers. Motu's armor sloughed off, clattering on the floor. His eyes and nose were streaming in between hacking coughs. Matai looked the same, save for a hole on the left side of his nanoweave jacket. Blood was coming out in frothy bubbles. I see you, Med is alerted. Bella's on the way. She's not more than a hundred yards from you guys. Corby sighed with relief. Vix was on the job again. He really wanted to meet this bird. I got a blowout kit. Leader was right next to him now. Tell him to get a chest seal out. New voice. Belladonna's? Sounded like her. That's a pneumothorax wound. Sucking chest wound to you. Swab it down, follow the instructions on the packaging, and slap the chest seal on it. I'm almost there. Leader fumbled him what looked like a piece of plastic and a big pad of gauze. He followed the Echo Med Leader's orders. Corby, we have a problem. Knight was standing over him, looking down. I'll know, mate. I'm on top of it. No. A bigger problem. He canted his head to the side. I can hear it. Leader's head bobbed up, then his eyes grew wide. He's right. The dogs smell it, too. Corby stood up and scanned. One of the mutts, a bloodhound mix, was barking frantically at a large duffel bag. He ran over, shooing the mutt away as he unzipped it. Oh, shit. The duffel was filled with explosives. All of them were wired with blasting caps or some sort of electrical trigger. Bombs weren't Corby's area of expertise. He didn't have to be an expert, however, to recognize the little red LED countdown timer, with barely thirty seconds left on it. It's a bomb. Bastards must have triggered it when they saw where they were screwed. We've got less than thirty before it goes. There's not sufficient time to get the civilians out of here. 
much less Matai. Knight examined the duffel. With that quantity of explosive compounds, a significant section of the underground will be destroyed, with attendant damage to the above-ground sections. We've got to get as many people clear as we can. Leader was marshalling the dogs, sending them to start picking up civilians. No time! Without another thought, Corby zipped the bag up and grabbed the carrying handle. He started running for the entrance, then kicked off with a leap into flight. He pumped his wings as hard as he could, sailing up through the ruined entrance to the underground, his teammates cursing and calling after him. In an instant, he was awash in daylight and police sirens. For a split second, he saw the remains of the SWAT van, the SWAT commander's car, the ambulances and emergency personnel, even Bella running as fast as she could with Echo Med right behind her. No time. No time. He flew straight up, straining against the weight of the duffel bag. He had to get high, as high as he could. How much time was left? He'd been mentally counting down, but had lost the count somewhere near the entrance. He was close to six hundred feet in the air when he judged that everyone else was safe. He did a pivot in the air, swinging around his left with the duffel in his outstretched hands. With a final grunt of effort, he flung the bag as hard and high into the air as he could, using the momentum to send it further. Then he folded his wings, dropping like a stone. Was I fast enough? Three seconds later, the bomb went off, and Corby was swatted with the pressure wave. He went tumbling in the air, completely dazed. I'm going to die. At least I got the bomb clear. He mentally chuckled to himself, loopy from the blast. What a way to go. Asphalt pancake. Road pizza. New coat of rampade on some guy's car. There was a string of curses in his ear. At least he thought they were curses. He didn't recognize any of the words. But as he somersaulted end over end, heading down towards a construction site, he was pretty sure he was hallucinating as well, because... Well, because what looked like a sandworm out of dune seemed to be reaching for him, coming up to swallow him. Then he hit it, and instead of dying, he yelped with pain. Not the worst pain he'd ever felt, though, just one of his wings getting twisted the wrong way, and his plummet turned into a kind of end-over-end -end roll down a long, steep slope, an angle that deepened and smoothed the closer he got to the ground, until he came to rest in a pile of sand as fine and powdery as talcum. Groggily, he tried to lift his head before letting it fall back in a puff of dust. Am I dead? It'd be a downer if I am. You're not dead. Bella might kill you for that stunt, but you're not dead yet. Don't move. Panacea and Gilead are hopping the fence to get you. His head cleared some, and he painfully tried to sit up. What about the others? The people on the ground? Matai? Is everyone all right? What about the civilians? The questions poured out of him as fast as he could say them. His heart was racing again. They're fine. Or they will be. Lots of shattered windows, a pissed-off SWAT commander, half of downtown has ringing ears, and we've scrambled CCCP med as well as Echo. Shut up. Average day at work, then. Right, love? Pretty much. Now shut up. 
I'll recall someone saying a little something about beer being on her after this gig. Make it a case, love. You got it. He fell backwards, another cloud of dust going up. Now, I'll shut up. Verdigree watched in utter disbelief as his beautifully constructed plan fell completely apart. None of the important targets were dead, only some of the minor players, and not nearly enough of those. That damned blue medic had been dispatched with a competent team, and somehow CCCP had gotten wind of the situation and showed up with a team of their own. All but a few of the support ops at the cafe would live. Worse yet, the contracted mercenaries had failed to die themselves. A handful had been taken into custody by Corby and his team. This was an utter disaster, and not the sort of one that Verdigree had wanted to see. Kanjar folded her arms across her chest, grinning. Is there a third act? That one was rather one-sided and boring, if you ask me, Dom. He turned abruptly to glare at her, and what she must have seen in his eyes made the grin vanished. She had never seen him this way, that much she was quite sure of. How could she? In all the time she had known him, she had never seen him fail. Not once. Not ever. There had been speed bumps and unexpected events with some of his plans, but he had always had another pawn to bring into play. But this was an outright failure. It wasn't something that Dominic Verdigree III could abide. He turned back to the monitors, cold hatred in his heart. This wasn't the doing of that incompetent blue bimbo. She didn't have the smarts to send in, not just a whole team, but exactly the right team. She wouldn't have been able to call CCCP, and she wouldn't have gotten the intel on the underground that had allowed Corby and his crew to move in smoothly, avoiding the traps his trained mercs had set up. Who could have done that magic with the earth? Kanjar wondered aloud. Echo doesn't have anyone like that on sight. Verdigree spared her a single look of disdain at the mention of magic before turning back to the monitors. His fingers were already flying over his keyboard, punching in commands. Insignificant. Probably some random meta-triggering. What's more important is, who coordinated that operation? There. Her. He tapped the display twice, bringing a log up in full screen. She's the one that called in Belladonna and the med team, and also had some very discreet calls, probably to Corby's team. Ramona Ferrari. Look at all of those calm calls, hmm? Very busy for a nosy little detective. He tapped on the keyboard a few more times, bringing up dozens of records, case logs, phone conversations, times when she had entered and left the Echo Campus, and countless other details all centered on Ramona. He smiled grimly. Well, this isn't a complete disaster after all. At least now I know who's playing the other side of the chessboard. It seems I underestimated her. So... Do you want me to do something about her? Kanjar asked. It would not be difficult to arrange an accident. 
although it might be difficult to keep her from calling for help if she is as clever as you say. She might even have some sort of biosign monitor on her person in case of such a thing. He turned to face Kanjar again, this time smiling broadly. Not just yet. Killing a spy is never as useful as insulating them and having them work against their own purpose. This was a bad day. But there's always a silver lining to every cloud, my dear. There must have been something off about his smile, however. Cracks beneath the surface of the mask that he was wearing. It obviously disquieted Kanjar even more than his brief flare of fury had. Well, good. It was time his little bodyguard saw the iron under the Harlequin glove. When the time comes, however, I'll want to put a personal touch on removing Miss Ferrari from this world. This has been Revolutions, Season 6 of The Secret World Chronicle. The Secret World Chronicle is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer, with music by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Find us at www.secretworldchronicle.com, like us on Facebook, and circle us on Google+. And as always, thank you for listening.